Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Okay. So well, today we're nice going to spot uh, plug. Thank you. We're, today we're going to talk about logic gates. But uh, before we get started, let's uh, let's let's begin with a little Facebook feedback. Yippee! This comes from James, and James says, "Suggestion: Electronics 101, Logic Gates." Thanks, James. That was an easy one. Uh, yes, we're going to tackle that. But before we do. I have a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Chris, and not the Chris who's sitting across from me. Chris says, you say in your 300th episode that machine code can't be easily read by humans. That got me thinking. Humans made machines. I understand that the best concept at the time was to code computers and machines with this complicated and unreadable language. But in this day and age, why don't we build computers and machines that can understand our language? It just seems to me that it's some kind of cycle. Humans build machines that only understand a complicated language. We adapt to that language, and we build programs that translate a simpler language to the machine language. Is it possible for computers and machines to be built to process information in the languages we are accustomed to? Now, these two items are actually related to one another. You might think, well, one of these we're talking about natural language and the other one we're talking about logic gates. How do those end up uh, being related? Well, it's because machine code is based upon the binary system. Zeros and ones. Uh-huh. And logic gates are as well. And it turns out that the way we've built computers is based upon this binary system. And that's why we have machine code. It's this to humans. It's a, it's a complex way of trying to get a machine to do a relatively simple task or at least one that seems simple to us. And unfortunately, there is not an easy way to translate natural human language into machine code in order to make a machine understand natural language in a on a fundamental level like on a mechanical level we mm-hmm. would have to completely change the foundation of computing yeah so that's why it's a big deal uh so, you know instead what we do is we end up building programs that can understand on on a superficial level what natural language is and translate it into machine code so that a computer can respond the proper way. Mm-hmm. It's not true understanding because, again, a computer is just running processes. It's just running uh, a series of calculations using these zeros and ones, and logic gates are the very foundation of that. It's the foundation of circuitry, it's the foundation of electronics, and the foundation of computers. But it kind of goes back a long way. Yeah. Back, in fact, before there were electronic computers. Oh, yeah. I mean, because, you know, I, I think of it as, uh, well, we actually have a, an interesting article about it, um, about something that was come up with uh, a couple centuries ago mm-hmm. by a guy named George. Yeah. You know, Boole. Oh, Boolean the, logic. Yes. Because logic gates operate using uh, Boolean logic. Yes. Uh, we have, and there is an article on how Boolean logic works on HowStuffWorks.com. I recommend actually, which is basically about logic gates. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of funny. I had no idea yeah. uh, until I, I started doing research on it. Um, 
because we also have a, uh, an article about how electronic gates work mm-hmm. on the, the, uh, the site, but there's, they're sort of hand in hand. It's better probably to go back through the Boolean logic article first and then go to the other. Um, but yeah, I mean, he basically figured out how to use, uh, you know, I guess it's sort of the marriage of language and mathematical operation yeah. in some ways, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I also tend to, to uh, relate it back to symbolic logic, which is mm-hmm. another way of marrying uh, mathematics with language. Now, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar, symbolic logic is a concept where you reduce statements to sort of a, almost like an equation. Mm-hmm. And using the equation form, you evaluate that statement to determine whether or not the statement, uh, or the, the combination of statements is true or false. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have to, make some certain assumptions in order to do that. But you can build more and more complex equations using all these series of statements to determine if the ultimate conclusion is uh, true or false. And by true or false, we're really talking about whether the argument holds water or not. So you could actually do this. You could take a debate yeah, and you could take one person's side of the debate, reduce it to this sort of mathematical equation, and then determine whether or not the ultimate outcome of that of that person's side of the debate makes sense from a logical standpoint. Yeah. Now, again, we're talking logic here. We're not talking about uh, you know uh, trying to get someone to agree to something based upon its emotional weight, uh, but simply does this argument make sense? Does it follow the rules of logic? Yeah, and a lot of these, um, when we talk about the, the logic gates, um, they're actually devices inside electronics that uh, use these logical operators. Yeah, these rules. These rules within the machine. Basically, yes. they're passing instructions based on the type of circuit they are. And according, I actually looked this up in Access Science, which is um, a really awesome database for, for technical things like this. Um, basically, the uh, Access Science said that if you're creating a gate circuit, um, they could be made up of transistors, diodes, or resistors mm-hmm. in some combination. Now, most today are are generally transistors only, right? Uh, but they could be made up of a variety of components. Um, and they're they're basically, you know, you you hook these up, and you can hook them up in a variety of different ways, depending on the type of device and what you're trying to get it to do, right? Um, and we'll get into that later. But in, basically, these circuits are. Um, a series of components that are wired together to perform a logical operation within a device. Yes. So let's start off from the very, very, very basic steps. So it all begins with bits, zeros and ones. Yes. Now, the, this, these aren't just numbers. Zero no. and one does not, that doesn't, that to us, that doesn't really mean anything other than the fact that we can do mathematical processes using them as 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 values, zero and one. Uh-huh. Um, they actually translate into uh, other concepts. So a zero in an electronics system would be a low voltage, mm-hmm. meaning zero volts, and a one is high voltage, meaning five volts. So a one means you've got electrons running through there at five volts. Zero means there are no electrons running through zero volts. Uh, but a zero also would mean a false uh, statement, and yes. one means a true statement. Zero could also be thought of as being on in the off position. One is in the on position. So let's we have to do, you know zero and one is kind of shorthand of saying. So if we're talking about zeros, we're talking about false 
if we're talking about ones, we're talking about true. If we're talking about zeros, we're talking about low voltage. If we're talking about one, we're talking about high voltage. This is how we translate ideas conceptually into a real device, a physical device that does something. One. <laughs> there we go. True. So now a logic gate will process a signal and what it does to that signal like it has an input and an output. Mm-hmm. What it does to that signal when it comes in through the input is based upon two things. The nature of the logic gate, because there are several different basic types of logic gates. Yes. And the whether or not the input was true or false. So whether or not it was a one or a zero. Those two elements will determine what the output of that specific logic gate is. And the simplest logic gate is a not Gate. Yeah, that's also known as an inverter. Yes. Now, inverters, what they do is they will take an input and switch it to the opposite output. So, in other words, if a zero is fed into a not gate, it will produce a one. So, a false statement comes into a not gate, it flips it to a true statement coming out. Right. All right. So, or if, again, low voltage to high voltage. Yes, vice versa. So, whatever the signal coming into the the not gate is the opposite goes out. Now, it can only have one input, which makes it unique among Mm -hmm. the gates. The other gates have two or more inputs, and they combine the two in order to produce a result. Mm -hmm. All right, so then the next one would be uh, an AND gate. Now, AND gates will produce a true result only if both inputs coming into the gate are also true. I think of that like uh, the programming statement, if, then. Yeah. You know, if both are true, then it will return true result. a true result. So that means that, let's say, imagine that you have this, you can actually imagine that this is a gate, and there are two roads leading into the gate, and you have two cars going up to the gate. If both cars are are true, then you've got a true result coming out. Otherwise, you have a false result coming out. Yeah, actually, it would be an if and only if. Yes. So... So, in other words, if you have two, if you have these two, uh, uh, inputs coming into the AND gate and both are a one, so both are true, both are high voltage, you get a one as a result. Any other combination, you get a zero as a result, a false statement or low voltage. Yeah. Zero and one will equal zero. Yes. In this case. Zero, zero will be zero. Zero, zero one will be zero. One, zero, zero will be zero. Cause you have to think of all three uh, instances that way, even though you might say, wait, zero one and one zero, isn't that the same thing? No, because you're talking about two different inputs coming into a gate. Mm-hmm. And those two inputs are coming from two different sources sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes they come from the same source, but usually they come from two different sources. And that means that, uh, because they're coming from two different sources, you have two different configurations. You have one where one is true and one is false and another one where one is false and the other is true. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of complicated. It's actually pretty simple. And again, if this starts to sound confusing, check out these articles that we have on our site because they will help illustrate these concepts. Mm -hmm. So besides the AND gate, you have the NAND gate or NOT AND. Now, a NOT AND will produce a true result in every case except where both inputs or more are true because you can have more than two inputs in an AND or a NAND gate. So in other words, if you have two zeros, a zero one or a one zero, you're going to get a one out of a NAND gate. Right. If it's a one and one, it's going to come out as a zero in a NAND gate. Right. Then you've got the OR gate. 
An OR gate will produce a true result if at least one of the inputs is true. Yeah. So 0, 1, 1, 0, and 1, 1 will all produce a 1. Only 0, 0 produces a 0 or a false statement. Yep. Then you've got the NOR gate, which is not OR. It will produce a true result if both inputs are false. So 0, 0 will produce a 1. 0, 1, 1, 0, and 1, 1 will produce a 0. Then you have uh, now all of those gates, the the AND, NAND, OR, and NOR gates can receive multiple inputs. Mm-hmm. And in order to really kind of sort this out, I know it sounds confusing. You can actually build a, a truth table. A truth mm-hmm. table is essentially a, just a it's like a it's almost like a spreadsheet. Yeah. And it shows you what each uh, a scenario, what the outcome would be for that particular scenario, for that particular gate. Right. So like if A equals zero and B equals zero, result C will equal whatever. That's Although I should say result Q because that's typically how they, they label it in, uh, in, in diagrams. Yeah. They usually use a Q to differentiate. So there's no confusion that it's zero. Right. They, they, you know, use a Q so that you, you get the idea. It's, oh, I, you know, that's the output. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that uh, truth table kind of sounds like a medieval torture device. Yes. He Put won't... him on the truth table. <laughs> Nobody resists the machine. <laughs> I really don't know what that would do to you. Um, uh, now I'm just going to quote Princess Bride for the I rest was, of this podcast. I was going to say there, there's an, uh, an extra bonus movie quote. Yeah, remember, this is for posterity, so please be honest. Uh, there are two more gates. Two more gates, yes. There's XOR the exclusive OR gate, which produces a true result if the two inputs are different. So if a 0, 0 or 1, 1 comes into an XOR gate, you're going to get a 0. Right. If you get a, if it's 1, 0 or 0, 1 going into an XOR gate, you get a 1. Uh, now, because of the nature of this gate, it can only accept two inputs. You cannot, yes. you cannot have multiple inputs beyond two. Uh, in an XOR gate because it has to be it's specifically geared that way. Right. Because, geared. because it has to be if it's if it's way. if if they have to be different, uh then there there are only two choices, right? Yes. There's a zero, there's a one. If you have three inputs going into something and they have to be different and there's only two choices, there's no way two of those inputs have to be the same. Correct. By by again, following logic. So therefore in an XOR gate, only two inputs can go into that gate. Then you have the XNOR gate, and it produces a true result if both inputs are the same. So if a 0, 0 or a 1, 1 goes into an XNOR gate, you get a 1. Otherwise, you get a 0. Same thing as the XOR gate in that you can only have two inputs going into that gate. Now, using these gates that we have just described here, if you build, you can actually build up a circuit using those as their basic uh, building blocks. In fact, you can go to a hobby store and buy chips that have logic gates built onto them. Yes, and we were talking about the the Arduino yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. And these are the kinds of projects. Now, if you can get a basic grip on this, these are the kinds of things that you can add to your projects if you're doing um, hobbies yourself and want to do this. Uh, now, it, you know, once you get a basic understanding of this, you can make much more complex projects. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, you can consider building a circuit using this as, as using combinational logic. You're combining various gates together in order to get a different result. So you might have, uh, three inputs going into a system and then you, you align various gates in a very, in a particular sequence in order to get a different result. And, 
it all will obey the laws of the truth tables. Now, these these circuits can get pretty clunky and pretty complex, which is why we've sort of abandoned the, uh, uh, you know, the, it works great as a concept. In reality, we've virtualized a lot of this since then because it just otherwise it would just be a massive piece of hardware in order to build a really, really complex circuit. Um, but you you can actually lay these out in uh, in various configurations to get different results. So it might you might have uh, uh, two inputs going into an and uh, uh, gate and another input going into a not gate, and then those the results of those um, of those particular functions will go into a third gate, and then. Now that way you have something coming out like maybe the maybe those are both going into an XOR gate and then whatever the result is is what you're looking for. Uh, these, like I say, get pretty clunky pretty fast. The interesting thing is you can actually replace the function of some of these gates using other gates. You just have to put them in the right configuration to do so. Yeah. So you can think of some of these gates as almost being like shorthand. Like this gate does this one function, and so therefore uh, it does it. Um, you know, that's all it does. You just put that in this place. But sometimes you might be working with uh, a system where you don't want to have lots of different types of gates. You want to use maybe one or two types of gates, and you don't want to have to deal with all the others. Well, you can do that. You just have to build the gates in the proper se- sequence in order to get the result you want. Uh, for it to to copy the function of one of the other gates. And there's various ways of doing this. Now, it does mean that you're going to use more gates overall, usually, than you would if you were using the the different types, but you would all be using the same type of gate. So you're, you've reduced it to a single type of gate, but you, you're using more of that particular gate than you would if you were using multiple types of gates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds a little complicated, uh, but it does it does mean that when you're sketching it out, it it really cuts down on the sort of uh, gates that you have to design when you're when you're at least conceptually building your circuitry. Mm-hmm. Now, go ahead. I'm no, sorry, I, I was, I was about just, to interrupt you. I was just going to say that these these gates can be run in parallel or in a series. Yes, and um, it, it actually kind of reminds me, in a way, of a very complex uh, railway, because I mean you're basically using these switches to control the flow of information. In your electronic device, um, so as a uh, you know, as someone would watch the board and make sure that the trains don't collide. Um, you're also sort of, you know, you can actually control the way information flows through the uh, the device using these switches, and you can place them in ways that uh, make the most sense. Yeah. To to what you're trying to carry out, which is essentially what you just said, but um, yeah, I, I it helps me think about this conceptually to put it in an anal- uh, analogy format right. to something that I can think about like trains because I sure. like trains. They're nice. And and if you want to, you know, if you really want to get into this, each of these gates has a particular um, uh, <clears throat> graphical representation of, you know, what it does. So it's I'm not bothering describing it on the podcast because this is an audio podcast. It would be kind of it, it'd be kind of pointless to do it. Yeah. And the shapes the shapes aren't, you know, uh, like a circle or a triangle or a square, something that is uh, uh, easy to describe. A yeah. lot of these shapes are modifications of those types of things. So you might say a triangly looking thing, but you're really not going to get yeah, an idea. Yeah, it, it makes more sense to actually go to a website that has them all laid out. And then once you learn what the the 
sort of the graphic representation of a gate, what it looks like, you can start looking at um, the combination of gates and say, oh, well, that's an mm-hmm. AND gate. So that means that since I know that AND gates always give a result that is uh, – it will produce a true result only if both inputs are true, I know what the output of this AND gate will be depending upon the inputs So because it's always going to behave the same way. It's never going to behave – uh, in a way opposite or different unless you, you know, well, never. It'll never do that. It, it's only if you were using a NAND gate that it would be different than the way it normally is. Um, so that way, since you know how each gate behaves in any specific circumstance, given time, you can decipher what a fairly complex diagram will do. You just say, all right, I know that this gate always behaves this way. Therefore, this is what would happen Given this particular series of inputs, you can actually build out a truth table for a, a complex circuit that way, and you will ultimately know what the circuit will produce given any particular set of circumstances. Now, the more complex a circuit gets, the wider that truth table is going to be, and the more you're going to have to really check to make sure you're following the logical rules so that uh, the results are are accurate. Um other and we call this we actually call this programming a circuit even though you might think of programming as something you do sitting down typing on a keyboard this and it, this involves actual physically hooking up wires to logic gates mm-hmm. in whatever sequence or series you need uh, we still call that programming yeah an engineer might draft this out using these symbols on a piece of paper to yeah. get an idea of how it works but uh logic gates can be very very small i mean we're we we've talked about the the manufacture of transistors before i mean you can have uh millions of transistors and a very small piece of silicon yeah and the logic gates i mean using the the uh metal oxide semiconductor uh, type, which is apparently predominant according to access science in, in, uh, manufacturing today. You can have many, many of these devices. So it helps. I mean, I think it would help me if I were trying to figure out exactly how I wanted to lay out this device to have it, you know, draft it out with these symbols and get an idea of how it's, it's working. I'm sure a lot of them use computers. I actually have a, a, a program that I use for, uh, information architecture that has a template with all these symbols on there and then you can you know put it up on the screen and get an idea of how it works but that's far larger than the actual devices because the manufacturing process can make them very very tiny right and as we've said in other podcasts this is part of why miniaturization has some uh some challenges uh that go along with it i mean there are a lot of different challenges but one of the challenges is that by getting these gates to be smaller and smaller, each each element on a transistor is decreasing in size. Remember, if we're following Moore's law, then ideally you're going to be able to fit twice as many discrete elements on a chip within uh, 24 months, or or at least the the number of uh, discrete elements on a chip will be twice as many as it would have been t- uh, 24 months before, so two years before. Um, if with that, with those elements decreasing in size at that pace, you start to run up against some pretty challenging issues. And we've talked about it several times on the podcast before, like electron tunneling. So yes. if you have a gate that determines how, uh, what the result it needs to be from any given inputs, um, if you have an electron that can tunnel past that gate, then it overrides the function of that gate, which means it'll start creating errors in your calculations. You know, you think about these these gates being so small that an electron can tunnel through them. And by the way, electrons don't really tunnel through them. They just appear on the other side of the gate. Uh, actually, if you think of it this way, think of it as an electron as just being 
a uh, it's you can predict that an electron will appear somewhere within a given area. Mm-hmm. All right, but you don't know the specific location of that electron. So within a given area, think of it like a sphere. You've got the sphere, and somewhere inside that sphere is this electron. Mm-hmm. All right, as that sphere approaches the gate, then part of that sphere is going to go over the gate, uh, and meaning that the electron could, in theory, somehow exist on the other side of that gate without passing through it. Right. That means that because there is a chance that the electron could somehow exist on the other side of that gate without passing through it, sometimes it does because there's a chance. Yes. And anything that if there is a chance for something to happen, eventually, sooner or later, it happens. So <laughs> that's the definition of chance. If there's no chance, then it won't happen. So because, There's a cat in here somewhere. Right, exactly. There's Schrodinger, nah, shake fist. Uh, actually, it's more like Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. But anyway. Um, I know, but I was thinking, never mind. You just weren't sure about it, right? Exactly. There you go. So anyway, the electron, because it can sometimes be on the other side of that gate, sometimes it is on the other side of that gate. That's one of the challenges we have when we get these these gates at this tiny, tiny size. You know, the, the, the thickness is not thick enough to prevent electron tunneling uh, unless you start switching to other materials which are more resistant to electron tunneling, which is so complex, I still have not gotten a good grip on it, so I can't really explain why that is. I just know that really smart people at Intel have figured it out. Anyway, uh, that's one of the reasons why we talk about this miniaturization process being an, a, a, a challenge to keeping Moore's Law going. Because remember, Moore's Law is not truly a law. It's an observation. Right. And companies are struggling to make sure that they meet the expectation laid out in that observation. And the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because once Moore's Law ends, then you know the chaos will reign and robots will take over the Earth and et cetera, and zombies and brains. Anyway, so... Um, Again, because logic gates are the very basis of these calculations, if the electron ignores the logic gate, computing stops working. Yeah. So that's why we talk about electron tunneling, quantum mechanics, and quantum engineering in relation to microprocessors because they're built on this foundation of logic gates. Now, your basic microprocessor is going to be so complex that to sketch it out in a logic gate formation would be pretty intense. But... The nice thing is you can learn the basics of this pretty simply. Like I said, you go to a couple of uh, websites and look at how the logic gates are are uh, displayed in a in a sketch. And you can even go out to a hobby store and buy chips that have logic gates on them and learn yes. how to hook them up yourself and see it in action. It's pretty cool. That'd be fun. Yeah, it's, a, it's a neat project. It's a neat way to really start getting your feet wet in uh, designing electronics. And there are plenty of different tutorials out there to explain how to do that and what, why you would do that. Like, you know, yeah, I've hooked up a lot of wires to this thing and it's doing this thing, but I have no idea why it's doing it or, or what's the purpose. This is just the foundation, the building blocks. Um, and then hopefully maybe in future podcasts, we can go into stuff like sequential logic. Because we're talking about com- combinational logic right now. Right. Sequential logic depends on other concepts like state. Like an information state. Mm-hmm. You know, we say that an information has state if it carries over information from previous calculations. If I were to give you a simple calculation, if I were to say, all right, add one variable to another variable and you get a uh, sum of those two variables. Right. All right. Well, th- there's no state in that in that function I just gave you because you could take any two variables you wanted and you're going to get a, a sum. But there's... That, that sum has no information on it based upon the previous two numbers you added to it, right? 
Yeah. Because you might say, all right, for this one, I'm going to add three and four. I got seven. And this one, I'm going to add five and nine. I got 14. And they, they have no bearing on each other. Right. Information that has a state has bearing upon previous calculations, and that's very important for computing. Without it, computers would only be able to do really one function, and then the next function would have nothing to do with the next, uh, with the, with the one you did before. So it would be impossible to really build a program. Yeah. You would have to have something that has some form of state so it can build upon what has come previously. Yeah. That really goes into sequential logic. It's its own thing. We will tackle that in a different podcast because that's going to have some more kind of complex conversations to kind of get into, you know, what sequential logic is, what it means, and how do we achieve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but really, you can't get there without first looking at the logic gates issue. Yeah. So I want to thank our listeners who have requested logic gates because it is a really important topic. It's a really fun topic, really, if you like puzzles. I, I was telling Chris before this that symbolic logic is one of my was one of my favorite classes in college. I, I was an English literature major uh, with a focus on Shakespearean uh, uh, drama, but somehow symbolic logic became one of my favorite classes because it just made sense to me. And I love these sort of puzzles where you just, you look at this big picture and it looks really complex Mm -hmm. and and really overwhelming. But if you just know the rules with enough time and, and attention, you can figure out how it all works. And that's amazing. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty illogical. I'm not sure I can. Well, I, I, when I'm saying you, I really mean me. Okay, good. I don't mean you. You. Okay. So anyway, that covers our episode on logic gates. If you have any requests for particular episodes, whether they be really technical or not so technical, just let us know. You can send us an email. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can send us a request via Twitter or Facebook. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. And we should also point out, recently, we launched a brand new iPad app. So if you are an iPad owner, like the fellow sitting across the table from me, and you want to have some fun with a, a new app that has a lot of our great content all bundled in there, specifically designed for uh, the layout on the iPad, check that out because uh, it's been uh, it's been really impressing everyone around the office for a couple of weeks. And now that it's out there in the wild, we're really excited to see what, what people think. And uh, Chris and I will talk to you again, hopefully with a little bit of logic, really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?